Welcome to Art Talk with April. I'm April Harris. I'm the artist of Inked April located in Birmingham, Alabama. And this podcast is going to be about all things art. We'll talk about books, invite some artists to interviews, and much, much more. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Art Talk with April. And today we have one of my most favorite artists, Melissa Tubbs. She is a pen and ink artist. And um, where are you located now, Melissa? Uh, I'm in Montgomery, Alabama. Okay. Okay. So I just want to jump right into it. What, how did you start out get it, being interested in art and did you go to any kind of school or do anything like that? I'm laughing because my, my mother had kept all my report cards and, and since kindergarten, <laughs> it, it said Melissa finger paints well. So I've always been into art, won some prizes in high school uh, when I took art and that kind of thing. Always knew I wanted to be an artist. I went to Auburn and got a degree in visual design, which is more the graphic end, and spent 25 years working uh, in the publishing field. Okay. And uh, you'd be amazed at how many, most associations are headquartered in Montgomery because it's the capital city. And most of them have publications of one sort or another. I mean, what what do you mean by visual design at that time? Well, most of the classes were graphically oriented, like um, you take a class that you had to come up with a a logo and do ads for it. Um, We had one project where we had to take something in history and come up with um, a visual representing what that was and that kind of thing. But also you had to take fine art courses. I had to take watercolor and acrylics and um, that. So it was a mix of fine art aspects. But um, like I said, geared toward graphic design because I figured I could always get a job in advertising or publishing or something like that. And then uh, in 1991, my sister asked me to draw a pen and ink, specifically said pen and ink, drawing of her father-in-law's house. She needed a Christmas present for the man who had everything. And so I said, okay. And that took forever. It was the first one I had ever done. Really don't know why she specifically said pen and ink because she'd never seen me do one. Got it done. It was kind of like put a line down and go, okay, where do I put the next one? Because, you know, the little voice in the back of my head was saying, okay, you make a mistake. You can't erase it. (laughs) So got that done. And then word of mouth, I got more and more commissions. And finally, after about six or seven years, I either needed to find a way to get more time to do them Uh, between having a full-time job and doing that on the side or stop doing it. And uh, I made the executive decision to quit my office job. And so I've been a full-time artist for um, about 25 years. Oh, wow. And see, I I empathize with that so much, being a graphic designer by day and artist on the side. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And it's so funny that your sister specified pen and ink. Like, have you ever asked her, like, why did you 
why did you suggest pen and ink out of all the things? No, I thought about it, but I figured she would either not be able to give me an answer. Like, oh, I don't know. I'd be afraid to know the answer. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just think maybe she saw pen and ink drawing of a home or something and, and asked me to do it. And, yeah. you know, your family, all my life, my family has volunteered me to create art. And I think also they think I can do whatever art they need me to do. You know, that kind of thing. So I think that probably entered into it some, but I did not realize how much I enjoyed drawing architecture until I drew it that first time and how how much I enjoyed the pen and ink because I've always liked a challenge in whatever I'm doing. The, the only reason I could do a monthly magazine all those years was because each issue was different. The different stories, different layout with ads and everything. Because if I had to sit and do the same thing over and over, day in and day out, I'd go crazy. Yeah. So pen and ink is definitely a challenge because you can't erase. You have to really think and concentrate about what you're doing. And I really enjoy tackling different subjects. Even if I'm drawing architecture, I've noticed there's always some aspect of it I've not ever had to draw before. So I have to figure out what direction to put the lines to show the volume and that kind of thing. And I I love working in black and white because I love working with values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really have to, with pen and ink, that was one of the things that I really loved. So that makes sense. Like just, you know, finding those different, um, like the darkest values to the lightest values mm-hmm. and being able to show, you know, with just lines, you know, right. the value of things. Well, it still amazes me today that I can create the drawings I create with just lines, you know, Yeah, but it it just, it's, you get that practiced eye over time. I've always photographed my subjects in color mm-hmm. because with black and white, the things that are in the darkest shadows tend to disappear. Yeah. And early on, I realized I would, I work in two, two and a half, three hour increments, and then you have to take a break. Yeah. And each time I would come back and pick up the photo, I would notice things I hadn't noticed before mm-hmm. in the deep shadows. And I think because my work shows the depth that it does, because I start out with basically what you might consider a contour drawing, mm-hmm. getting the shapes correct and the perspective correct. Uh, and then I start layering in the lines and I draw in everything that I can see in those deep, dark shadows, Mm -hmm. because even though when at the towards the end of completion of the drawing, I'm putting in the big shadows that end up making the drawing pop. You're still going to see that ghost image of what I've drawn before, unless it's such a dark shadow Mm -hmm. that it's going to be obliterated anyway. Yeah. And so it's it's like. There is nothing in nature that is completely black, Mm. only in graphic novels and um, advertisements do you have a flat black. Mm -hmm. And so when you put layer after layer on, you're still getting those little white specks Mm -hmm. between the lines. And for years, I had a hard time before they developed 
desktop publishing and scanners and all that stuff, I had a hard time getting a reproducible image of my work. Yeah. Uh, because that I even got a Polaroid portable developer and used a Polaroid line art film, which was wow. the for line art and it still didn't do a very good job the the darkest areas look like blobs and that kind of thing so now that we've got the scanners uh when and when i scan it as a tiff file they're huge files but they they hold every little white speck so that when you place that on a note card or whatever thing you're going to print it doesn't become all solid black. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Your prints are just beautiful. I mean, it, it's working. Like yes, I think yes, was, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's real. They really show very well. And a lot of times, you know, you'll see artists that are doing things like that, and you just can't. It's they haven't figured out the formula, I guess, to make that look right, you know, and you're right, the little, and that's one thing where I've noticed too, that people are much more surprised when they see your artwork in person, like the original, mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're able to look at it close up, and they're able to see all those little lines and everything, they're like in awe because they know how much time and effort it took to create that. And it's such an experience in itself just to see it in person. You right. Know? There, there's because there's so much detail and I'm not trying to. My work has been called photorealistic and it's not because if you look at the way I draw trees, I don't draw all the little bark and everything <laughs> I, I do curved lines to show the volume and, and straight lines for the shadows. But it's because of the detail that, like I said, you get the depth. Yeah. And whether it's a painting or a drawing, no reproduction ever does justice to the original. Yeah. I have had people who have commissioned me to draw their homes or they buy a drawing of mine and I'll see them later and they say, you know, I love your work because every time I go by your drawing and I stop and look, I see something I hadn't noticed before. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I drew a woman's house once and she she had kind of a set in porch on the front, but to the side. Yeah. And she had a bench there and she said, oh, you even put my bench in. And I said, well, it's all the details that are in your house that make it your house, your home and not somebody else's. Yeah. So that's another reason for putting the detail in. Yeah, I mean, it makes it more personalized. Why wouldn't you put the bits there? Wow. <laughs> I think right. that, you know, I mean, that's just me. Like, I've, I've tried to do, um, like, I think I did a, a color pencil drawing for my grandmother of her house. Um, and... I mean, the way that you're able to capture like the perspective and the lines and even some of the more historical architecture around Montgomery and mm-hmm. college campuses and things like that, where, I mean, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I would say slowly and with the tongue in the right spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, Very carefully. Well, it, well, it is a slow process. 
because of having to concentrate and think about what you're going to do next. Mm -hmm. Because even while I'm drawing, I work on bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. I don't do one little spot completely and then move to another spot and then another spot because it's it's also a process of adjusting Mm -hmm. so i'll put in after i do the so-called contour part i will start putting in the darkest shadows that is just laying in the first layer or two to get a, a a perspective for me on the darks and the lights And then I start putting in the in-between values. And as I do that, I know, okay, I've got to go back to this darkest area and put another layer or two of lines in it. Mm -hmm. So it will be darker than this area here. Yeah. And so it's constant adjustment and everything. And one thing I like when I'm not doing a commission or drawing buildings per se, I really like to hone in on um, a specific part of a building with its um, shadows and detail. You'd be amazed at how abstract that becomes, even though it's a realistic drawing. In fact, I had somebody several years ago say, you know, your work is becoming more and more abstract. It's kind of like once I went to a critique and the person doing it gave Whistler's mother uh, that painting as an example of what is considered by many people one of the most abstract works of art there is. Yeah. Because of the placement of the rectangular picture to the side of her head and, and that kind of thing. So just because you are painting or drawing realistically does not mean you don't have that edginess of an abstract feel to it with the way the shadows, big blocks of shadows go and that kind of thing. So I I enjoy that about it too. Yeah. And that's how, um, that's interesting you say that because I've never thought of it that way. But when I think about drawing in pen and ink, I think, when I'm working on it, I'm thinking of it that way. Like I'm right, drawing your shapes. Right. You're because the, the big shadows are shapes, the lightest areas are shapes. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're focusing on, mm-hmm. even though you're drawing in realistically to make it look like what it is. Yeah. Your mind is still seeing it as areas of shapes, mm-hmm. darks and lights. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That is so interesting. I have never thought about it that way. It's almost, now it makes me question, like, I want to go back and look at our history books. and like, is that more abstract? <laughs> yeah, it, it really does make you look at things uh, differently. Yeah. Um, I read a quote not long ago about, because um, I, I love to read about drawing. And in fact, right now I'm reading a book called Wayne Tybo, uh, draftsman. I like to read about artists that are mainly known for painting mm. and see what their background is for as drawing is concerned. And he started out as a graphic artist oh. and uh, moved into uh, painting. Mm. And the quote that I read um, is something like, bad painters can't draw well. But those who can draw can always paint. And it's true. If you look at Picasso, 
he was an excellent draftsman before he started exploding the body into yeah. bits and pieces and nose up here and an eyeball down here and such. And so I'm finding that to be true about most good painters. I mean, uh, Van Gogh, there's a great book called Van Gogh's Letters that I got because it's the first one I'd seen that has his paintings, but also a lot of his pen and ink drawings. I wasn't aware he did that much pen and ink drawing. Master of line. Just yeah. like his paintings, you can see his brush strokes. Mm -hmm. I mean, his lines and the uh, pen and ink drawings are wonderful. So I'm finding that quote to be very true. And, and it makes sense because no matter what you're doing, whether it's uh, art or uh, music or your business or anything else, you have to know the basics. You have to learn the foundations of what you're doing before you can start breaking the rules. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you know what something really looks like when you have learned all that, then you can start putting a nose up here and an eyeball down here and a breast over there. And, <laughs> and it still can make sense. Yeah. Being really familiar with the subject enough that you can change it into something else, I suppose. You, you just really that makes so much sense. Well, I'm learning a ton. <laughs> good, good. That's one of my aims. <laughs> well, um, so, I mean, you also do, you've done pet portraits, which to me are very like con more contoury and like the um the fur and being able to capture that with mm. the straight lines. Right. It's just right. amazing to me. That well, there you that. There again, it's the values. Your brain is always going to fill in what your eye sees. Mm -hmm. So if you get the values right and, you know, make an attempt to draw it the way it looks. Yeah. Then it, it will work. Interesting. I've always been drawn to the more graphic mediums. Mm. I worked in colored pencil for a while mm. um, and then the pen and ink. I always felt like when I had a brush that it was pushing me away from the surface. Mm. And um, I, I didn't like that. And uh, I think that's also one reason why I've always used drawing paper and not illustration board that a lot of pen and ink artists use. Because anything stiff made me feel like I couldn't get close to it. Yeah, I, I don't like illustration board either. It's something about the texture of paper and the nib of the pen that really makes, I don't know, especially when you're drawing lines like that, it's somehow it gives you more control to feel that for me personally. Illustration board is kind of slippery, isn't it? Well, and that's supposed to be the best surface for pen and ink, the, to not have any texture so that the pen glides Ooh. along. I but love the I, text. I love having texture. Well, I not like a, lot, but. a little bit of texture, yeah. fine texture. Yeah. And I've always used Strathmore Artist Paper 400 series drawing paper because okay. um one reason I selected it because the color of the paper, it's a very warm off-white, mm -hmm. which looks great with uh, the black of the ink. Yeah. Um, wh whereas if it was a cold white, 
it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't draw the viewer into it as much as the the warm light of the paper and the black ink. Um, uh, medium surface because it has just a very little bit of texture. Mm -hmm. But when I do little two and a half inch drawings square mm -hmm. that I call tiny jewels. Yeah. And um, with those, I use the smooth surface because I, I ordinarily I use a 0.18 pin, right. which is very small. Yeah. I, I started out using a 0.25. And then one day I thought, I wonder what it would look like if I used a 0.18 and would anybody notice the difference? So I did some drawings with the smaller point size and um, at a group show opening, a friend, I saw her looking at my drawing and she turned around and came over to me and she said, OK, what are you doing different? And I'm going, yes, somebody noticed. <laughs> Even if it's only one person. And, and it gave a more refined look to it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as coarse even that small difference. And it's the same thing with the little two and a half inch drawings. If I used a 0.18 on that size drawing, it would look like a 0.35 on a bigger drawing. Yeah. So I used a 0.13. And um, I realized that it, the pen tends to drag on the, the medium surface. And when I switched for those to the smooth surface, I didn't have anywhere near as much trouble mm -hmm. uh, with the pen. And I use rotring isograph pens because they're not a true rapidograph. I hate rapidographs. I never could keep them going in school. I still have an empty box, um, shoe box full of dead pens that I never could get to work. I would spend more time trying to get them to, to flow than yeah. I could actually draw. And the beauty of these pins is um, very rarely, uh, if I haven't drawn for a long time, I might have trouble getting it started. Otherwise, I can pick it up and start drawing. I don't want to have to worry about, are my tools going to let me down when I'm working? And that includes the paper and the pins. I, so. I, I, I was going to ask you that, like what pens you use mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, because I had the same experience. With those. I was like, they're really difficult to take care of and manage just on their own. And then, you know, when you feel like making something, you feel like making something, you don't want to be stopped in the middle of it because it's not working, you know, and you're like, <laughs> oh, afternoon cut. <laughs> I, I, you're talking about like having a shoebox full of dead pins. I have that too. <laughs> well, I started out using Rotring Rapidaligners. They were the most wonderful pins in the world because, you know, true Rapidographs have a flat point. Yeah. And these Rapidaligners had a rounded point. Uh -huh. And the real beauty was when the ink cartridge and the pinpoint came together. Mm. When you ran out of ink, you bought the whole thing. So yeah. you always had a fresh point. It wasn't sharp and dragging on the paper. And there was no air ever between the point and the cartridge. So there was no clogging at all. Yeah. And of course, Rotring sold that division of their company to Chart Pack mm -hmm. many years ago. And, um, and Rotring manufactured them in Germany. Well, 
Chart Pack decided to quit making them. They said it was too expensive. And we all know that wasn't necessarily true because I think, as well as other people, they wanted to get rid of the competition for their pins. That's how good the Rapidaliner was. So then I had to find a new pin. And, and um, I found a, a Statler Mars, or is it Mars Statler? I always want to switch them around. But anyway, they had a comparable pin. The, the cartridge and the pinpoint was the same system. Um, but the ink was not as dark. Mm. And it just sat on top of the paper. Yeah. Not that the Rapidaliner did not go in and feather in the paper, but you could see the difference. Mm. And the ink was denser. Yeah. Then um, they quit making that pen. It's kind of like, I've always said, it's kind of like when you find a shade of lipstick that you absolutely love, (laughs) you know. And that's your shade. Later, they quit making it. (laughs) Because you found what you like. It's the same thing with pens as far as I'm concerned. It really is. Because, oh my goodness, I've been through, I've tried several different things. But, you know, um, I use the Micron pens mostly now, you know, if I do anything like that. How do you feel about those? Well, I, I would use those if I was just sketching. Yeah, but they do not have a point size comparable to a one eight or a one three. No. They don't have small enough points. They have a zero zero three and a zero zero five. Uh, they're still not. I've but tried. That's not the same as. And then they and then it goes to zero zero one and then zero two. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't quite. Now there, it's something about the way the point is made yeah it's not the same yeah whenever i've bought one and tried it i've not been as happy it'd be less expensive the road trains are not the cheapest pins that you can buy yeah but to me it's worth it to have one that the finished drawing looks as good as it does and i don't have to fight the pin do you have do you have some pins nearby that you can show us I'm like, this is really interesting. I wonder if people know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, I think I learned. Yeah. But, um, this is the one eight. I don't know how well you can see it. Yeah, I can see uh, it. And the the purple mm-hmm. is the one three, and the red is the one eight. And I don't don't know that you can tell the difference, but the point yeah. one three is definitely a slimmer yeah. uh, point. But um, this one, you do refill the cartridge mm-hmm. uh, as it empties, but um, I've still not had any problem. Like I said, unless you leave it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's only so much you can ask of a pen. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, if you ignore it for a long time, then yeah. it has a lot of be hard to get restarted yeah yeah I feel like it would take a pretty long time for that to happen um, right if you're using them regularly then that's just not going to be an issue honestly I don't think I've ever had no issue like that and, and, and it's not yeah I, I can't even think of a time that I've 
not used one long enough to stop it up. Give yeah. It up, yeah. Um, about so you've talked about how you have your your jewel, your little jewel paintings. What about like when you're doing these? Um, architectural works are you working in a particular size or does it just depend on what you're creating it for uh, all of the above <laughs> <laughs> um, I have uh, when I get commissions I have different prices for different sizes sure. from a six inch by nine inch up to 11 by 14 inch okay um, and of course the larger ones are a lot more expensive uh, than the smaller ones. I'm working on uh, what I call my Palladio project now. It's several years ago. I did a, uh, created a traveling exhibition called Celebration and Preservation. Hmm. I started raising money to do it in 2008 when the bottom fell out of everything. Oh. <laughs> and so it was 10 years later. I, I raised most all of the money for, to have to do it. Uh, including getting the pieces framed and creating a catalog for it. And um, I was uh, fortunate enough to meet Jay Lamar, who was director of the Bicentennial Celebration for the state. Yeah. And so she asked me to do it as a, an official Bicentennial oh, project. Nice. And, and so when I had that behind me, it, it built a little more momentum and I got it finished and it traveled around the state to six venues uh, and the catalog. I was very happy with the way the catalog turned out. So I did those drawings pretty much based on the size of the building. Mm -hmm. Like if it was a tall building, like the county courthouse in Macon yeah. County, I wasn't going to do it. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I did it like 12 by nine. Yeah. Um, but then most of them could be um, six by nine. Mm -hmm. Now, now I'm working on a Palladio project. It's Andrea Palladio shaping American architecture. And I'm doing 25 drawings, half of them of buildings in the U.S. and half of the villas that Palladio designed in um, the Veneto region, um, which is directly across from Venice. And then he um, designed some buildings in Venice, too. Uh, and of course, oh, that's gonna be this beautiful. is taking longer. It was supposed to part, start traveling last year. Yeah. Now it will start traveling in 2023. I was supposed to go to Italy in May of 2020. Oh. That didn't happen. <laughs> now I'm supposed to go this May and uh, to get the pictures I need. Uh, of the villas because I always prefer to work from my own photographs. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I'm doing the same thing. It's going to travel around. I'm creating a catalog. Uh, but for this one, I raised a good bit of money for it. But then I received an $18,000 Pollock Krasner Foundation grant, wow. which was great. I had, well, I can't choose just one. The two biggest successes were getting that grant because that had always been a goal of mine and creating and completing that first traveling exhibition of 25 drawings. Now I, I want to complete this Palladio project and get it done and go back to creating what I call my work, you know, the, the things that I see that I want to draw, not because of something specific I'm doing. Um, so it, it, 
And these I'm finding I'm doing a little bit bigger because so many, so many of the first buildings that were influenced by Palladio. Thomas Jefferson became a huge fan of Palladio's. He bought books early on. Palladio wrote the four books of architecture and he bought that and he loved his architecture. And Jefferson is one reason all of our government buildings have the grand mm. look to them, the columns and everything, because he felt like that architecture should speak to the world that we're not some little new country, but, you know, this is who we are. Yeah. <laughs> so the White House and, and Monticello, um, James Madison's home in, in Virginia. Oh, interesting. And so I've done interesting. buildings from up to Washington and down the coast and south, yeah. um, some buildings in Georgia and South Carolina, some here in the state. I couldn't ignore Alabama. Yeah. Uh, and so what the building is, again, kind of dictates, especially if they're real wide. Yeah. They have to be a certain width so that they're not that deep. Yeah. So, but but some of them makes sense. Will be a more consistent size. I don't think any of them can be six by nines, but maybe eight by tens. Mm. Um, again, it's going to depend on how I get a picture of the villas and those buildings. But I am finding that with this project, they're a little bit larger, taking a little more time to do that sure, kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. The larger you go, the more. What is the largest pen and ink drawing you've ever done? I got a commission. Client used to live in Montgomery and work in Montgomery. And he lives in Asheville now. And um, he wanted a picture of the Wetumpka um, Bridge, Big Graves Bridge. Sure. So uh, I, I went to where all the newscasters go when they do a story from we took a, and got a photograph. spot. <laughs> yeah. And of course, it was before the tornado went through and demolished First Presbyterian Church. Oh. And um, he wanted it 25 inches. Uh, well, I ended up doing it 25 and a half inches by uh, 11 and a half inches. Um, but it really turned out very nicely. Yeah. I was really with it uh and and any of the drawings that i've talked about i know i post them all on my instagram account um and if you go there and just um enter search for melissa b tubs it should bring up my account i think that's that's easier than given yeah these crazy addresses for everything um, <laughs> And you can scroll through my posts and see the ones I'm talking about. You and can then see you have the Etsy too, right? Right. I have an Etsy shop. And again, if you um, Google Melissa B Tubs, I've always done my publicity and marketing basing my name on Melissa B as in boy tubs. Mm -hmm. And so if you just went to Google and put in Melissa B Tubs, my website will come up. Most everything will come up. Yeah. Um, but if, of course, I did my little Google search before our interview and um, looked around, and I mean, you're all over the place. So <laughs> I watched a video from uh, Montgomery Advertise, 
advertiser, I think it was like 2015, and you did a little drawing and they and we're talking to them about it. And I mean, and so you've had that is a huge success. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine having a traveling show. I mean, that is just and, and getting um was it, it's a grant. What was the name of yes, Paula Krasner Foundation grant for 2019, 2020? Wow. Um, it, it, the money was given to me in support of this Palladio project. Yeah. So it's it's paid for a lot of the expenses incurred in sure. working on it. Sure. <laughs> the, the two year delay. <laughs> That's another thing. I have eventually succeeded in most everything that I have tried to do. Not always, but it has taken a lot longer on occasion than I had hoped it would. Yeah. But always um, that's that's another thing I can't emphasize enough. If somebody's just starting out or they're struggling, I say create the best work you can create. Never stop learning and growing as an artist and persevere. This is a process and a journey. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's one of those things where if. I can't remember. I was reading a book recently. I can't remember, but it was basically saying that a lot of people, they'll start drawing or start trying to make art. And as soon as they feel like it's not good enough or they can't do it, then they just put it aside. And I think the journey as an artist is to keep going. It's always about keep going and, you know, figuring out, solving the problems along the way and figuring it out for yourself, you know, what it means for you and then also what you want to make, you know, that kind of thing. So um, would that be your, your biggest advice to give somebody who's just starting out? Is to keep going and strive at creating the best art that you can create because you will continue to to improve no matter how long you've been doing it. That's just the way it works. And never stop learning. If you stop learning, you stop growing and you have to keep growing to keep creating good art. Uh, And you have to persevere. Yeah. Um, I had a friend who was an artist, quit her day job to be a full time artist. She was a really good artist. And after five years, I found out she had gone back to an office job and um, her husband said, well, she gave it five years. Well, I don't know anything you can go into with the idea. OK, if I'm not a big success in five years, I'll move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Nothing in life works that way. You have to be in it for the long haul. In fact, one of my very favorite quotes is by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Does that not present the most amazing (laughs) mental image? Yes. Picture this little snail kind of slowly moving along. And in comparison, all the other animals, animals are scurrying right on to the ark. But he keeps going and he eventually gets to where he wants to be. And that's the way (laughs) anything in life is. And certainly being an artist. 
You just have to keep working at it. But that doesn't mean you can't ask for help. Mm. And whether that's asking somebody to refer you to somebody else or a conversation like this where you find out how another artist functions and creates their art or anything else, you don't. The worst thing you can. We are all lone wolves as artists. It's the nature of the work. <laughs> I, think so. I can't get work done if there's other people around. <laughs> um, I could certainly never share a studio with anybody. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't need to be out in times other than COVID <laughs> out in the art community. And when you talk to other artists, that can get your creative juices going. You can learn things and everything else. But also, if, if you're thinking about doing something and you don't really know how to go about it, yes, you can Google it and you can read stuff. But if you know an artist who's accomplished the same thing, contact them and ask them questions. Because I, most artists are more than happy to answer any questions mm -hmm. because we know how hard it is to do stuff. And just because you ask for help and, and learn a little faster about something doesn't mean you don't have to continue to persevere yeah. and keep working. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean that your problems are all solved and it's just going to be like, right. you know. <laughs> it just helps you. You don't have to be a snail the whole time. It helps you a little <laughs> further along. <laughs> oh, that is just an awesome quote. I won't have to tell my son that one because he loves snails. <laughs> it will like every, I want to say, um, spring when the uh, when it's kind of wet and the little snails all come out in our yard. He just loves it. He's he's. They're like his little friends, and he'll go out and sit <laughs> on the porch and talk to his friends. Well, I'm, I'm going to show my age. Um, when I think of snails, I always think of the Twilight Zone where, um, and I don't remember the premise of the, the whole story or anything, but it turns out in this basement were living uh, people that had become snails. Oh. And when the, the, the characters went down in this basement and they saw this, you know, wide, silvery trail like snails yeah. leave, they leave that that slime that <laughs> glows or whatever. And so that's always the image I get with snails, which is, <laughs> I get kind of good in my mind because it's, you know, even we big snails will get there. And I like that if leaving the silver trail all behind me <laughs> going all over the place <laughs> leaving your mark <laughs> right right exactly <laughs> that's so funny oh my goodness so um speaking of you know continuing to learn what is your favorite art book well as i mentioned van gogh's letters um is a great one the wayne tybo book is really good because it not only shows his um graphic drawings, uh, but drawings in oil pastel and oh. um, other graphic mediums like that. Yeah. Um, but whatever art book I'm looking at at the moment is my favorite because I can always learn from it. And that's another reason I will sign up for 
webinars and things um, because and why I've gone to conferences in the past, because I figure if I can go to something like that and I come away with even one new thing that I didn't know before, it's worth it. Now, I'll have to admit all webinars are not created equal because so many people who do them and I don't do them. So I'm not casting aspersions on these people. Um, This is just what I think. It drives me wild to get on a webinar and and the people spend 25 minutes talking about all the things they've done why you need to be on the webinar with them and that kind of thing. Like we've already um, bought into the webinar. Let's move on along. <laughs> right. This is this is not why I signed up for this. I want to learn what you know yeah. specifically. Tell me how you do things. Don't tell me what you've done. If I didn't know the kind of things you'd already done, I wouldn't have signed up for the yeah. webinar. You don't need to tell me again. And I watched one last week that was fantastic. I mean, she hit the ground running and um, told you lots of things that would help you with social media uh, things. uh, And it was fantastic. I don't like wasting my time. And I feel like it's a waste of time when I sign up for an hour webinar that's supposed to at least teach you one or two things. And half of it is spent telling all about the leaders. Yeah. They're like, this is what, look at me, what I've done. And, you already right. got that part of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, it's it's one reason I really don't watch many videos on um, if it's somebody I like, somebody I know, something I want to know more about, mm. I'll take the time to watch a video. Otherwise, give me a written transcript because I can read faster than most people in videos get around to saying <laughs> what I want to hear. Yeah, really. <laughs> I don't. If I watch 10, 15 minute videos all day, I wouldn't get anything else done. <laughs> but if I can read something, I can kind of skim through everything and get to the meat of what I want to, to find out. about. Speaking of, how do you manage your time as an artist? How um, do you stay focused and get the work done? Well, because you learn early on, if you sit and don't work, it ain't going to get done. You're not going to have drawings finished to show anybody, you know, forget (laughs) somebody who wants to buy it. Um, And as I said before, because pen and ink is such a labor intensive medium and you have to focus so hard on what you're doing and you're Focus on what you're actually doing. But as you're doing it, you think, okay, I've added this layer line. So over here, I need to come back in and make this darker. And that's so you're also thinking ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find myself stopping to take a break and I'll sit there looking at it and thinking, okay, once I've done all these other things, when I come back, then I'm going to need to do this. So it's a constant thinking about the process and what I need to do. Um, And because of that, I'll work an hour and a half, two hour increments, maybe two and a half and take a 30 minute break. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've tried 15 minute breaks and that's just not enough time to let your mind rest. Yeah. Uh, 
then I go back and do the same again. And it depends if, um, like today is going to be my errand day, um, because usually I get up and after I eat breakfast, try to go ahead and get my first two hours of drawing in, because that does set the tone for the day. Yeah. And since I was doing this this morning, I thought, okay, this is a good day to do errands. But I usually try to, to draw at least an hour, even on errand days, because in today it's going to be even more tiring because it's the rain and out and that stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, I don't beat myself up if I go today without drawing at all. I know that I get more done when I can count on spending at least two days, preferably three or four days in a row at home, because I get that rhythm going, get up and draw, take a lunch break, draw, break to exercise, which I try to do every day because that makes me sleep better at night, which means I get better rest. And so I'm better to start the next day with this concentrated work. Um, so I just, I know that I'm doing the very best that I can at any given time. But I, I will say I'm no different than any other artist. Uh, that little voice will say, okay, your client isn't going to like this. This isn't good enough. And, you know, that's the devil getting in there and uh, uh, trying to convince you otherwise. And um, it's just not so. So I just remind myself, OK, this is the very best I can do at this point in time. Yeah. And, and capture those bad thoughts uh, and boot them out of the way. So, you know, I think all artists have a, a lot of insecurity when it comes to showing other people your work, even though that's the whole process you create and you show it, yeah. you create and you show it, but there's always that um, insecurity, fear of what if they don't like it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, no matter it's a, it's a, I think a lifelong battle. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it, that, that part of it never ends. Like if you're a young mm -hmm. artist and you're thinking, Oh, when I get into my 40s, 50s, 60s, I'm going to be there. I'm not, I'm going to be confident. I'm going to be, it still happens. That still happens. I, I've gone through that, that cycle. I don't know how many times where I'll be like, oh, this is wonderful. I did a great job. And then the very next day, I'm like, oh, that isn't wonderful. <laughs> right. You do. You, when, you, when you're working, even if you're taking the breaks, you um, get used to seeing it. And when you come back to start the next morning, working on where you left off the day before, you think, ooh, I really need to take care of this spot. And the things <laughs> jump out at you, which is another reason to take longer, the 30-minute break between things. Because when you come back, you'll notice things that you might not have noticed. When I think I'm finished with the drawing, I take two or three days to fine-tune them. And what I mean by that is I don't necessarily, you know, I've read, you know, put it up someplace where you wouldn't ordinarily see it. I just don't look at it for a long time. And then I might not look at it the whole first day. And then the second day I'll look at it and think, "Ooh, yeah, that white spot has to recede. It can't be all white. That's when things like that really jump out at me. Yeah. And so I take a few days to 
fine tune them so that I don't miss them because I have been looking at it for so long. Um, but I think as time goes on, we never get to the point where it was where we said, well, unless you got a big ego where you say, oh, all my work is great. Um, you get better at capturing those thoughts. Yeah. And um, that's one reason to sit down and do a resume. I did not have a fine art resume when I quit my office job, graphic design resume. And so when you sit down and think about the things you've done and write them down, you'll be amazed at how much more you have accomplished than you thought, because our mind doesn't think in those terms. And so as you go along, if you get in a show, write it down. If you want a prize in that show, write it down. If you get an article or even just a, an image in a magazine, write it down. I've got I've managed to get my work in several books. Um, write it down. If you do an interview, write it down. That helps you realize my work is good enough. These people wouldn't accept it in a show. These people wouldn't put it in a book. Yeah. These people wouldn't want to talk to me if I wasn't doing something right. So you get better at realizing you have accomplished a lot. And of course, as you get older, just because you've lived longer <laughs> and because you've lived longer, you've done accomplished more, then uh, I think it is easier to kind of conquer over the insecurities. Yeah, yeah. You're like, man, I've done a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's very satisfying because we are our own worst critics. Mm, yeah, By the nature of the insecurities, we tell ourselves, oh, this isn't good enough. I shouldn't bother to enter it in the show or the client's not going to like this and that kind of thing. We've got to nip that in the bud and um, not pay as much attention to it as we do. Mm. You don't ever want to get to the point, like I said, with a big ego and think you can do no wrong. <laughs> um because that's not true either. Yeah, that's not possible. <laughs> but you certainly want to see more of the things that you've accomplished and that have made you a better artist than you want to believe, oh, this is awful, you know, because it's not. Because if you're always striving the best you can do at the moment, it's like making decisions in life. Well, what if I make the wrong decision? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if? If you get all the information that you can, the pros and the cons, and you make the decision based on that, you've made the best decision you can at that point in time. Yeah. And if you are creating the best work you can create at any point in time, which is what any artist's aim should be, you don't want to do mediocre work, mm. not if your mind's in the right place anyway. <laughs> so... Um, you know, it's just it's just everything takes time and everything takes practice. Most of the time, practice does not make perfect. Mm. That quote is not quite true, but it makes better and better and better. Yeah. I myself am a recovering perfectionist <laughs> and always will be. Yeah. And I say that because most artists, when when you read in a book or a magazine article, the intimidation factor of a white clean sheet of paper oh. um that's 
<laughs> I got over that real fast. I don't know how, but I did. <laughs> right. You just have to start and go. And and if you're doing your best, that's all anybody, including yourself, can ask. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're too hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then especially with the internet too, I think younger artists are very compared, you know, like they're just compare themselves. Yeah. And I mean, you're comparing yourself to somebody across the globe. I mean, and it just could be so overwhelming. And that doesn't do any good. That's that I keep harping on doing the best work you can. Every person does something different. Mm-hmm. Every painter that you see on social media has their own unique something with their work so it does no good to compare Mm -mm. and it's better to think is this the best work that I can do rather than how does my work compare to this artist's work because there is no comparison you're you they are them and it's comparing apples and oranges most of the time yeah yeah they're on completely they have completely different life experience everything so, I mean, it's just pointless and you really should be looking at your own, like for me personally, I look at my past work and that's what I'm comparing to what I'm doing now is I'm thinking, you know, okay, where have I been? Where do I want to go? And looking at my own stuff mm-hmm. versus what I can enjoy other people's art, but I'm not necessarily going to be like, Oh, I, you know, they're just so much better than me. (laughs) The only, the only good reason to, as a working artist, to look at somebody else's work is if you see in their work, something they've managed to accomplish that you haven't figured out yet. Yeah. yeah. And if you can see in their work, how they managed to make it work, Mm. then incorporate it in your work. But when you do that, you're making it your own. You're not copying what they're doing. And the best thing you can do is what you said. Look at your older work. Mm-hmm. What in that older work that you can see now needed improvement? What part of it? What aspect of it? And okay, in this new work, have I succeeded in doing that? Mm-hmm. Just as a natural process, even if I wasn't consciously thinking yeah. that this is what needed to be done. Yeah. That's how you grow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's the whole really definition of an artist's journey is the growing and learning and just taking it one step at a time, you know, snail's pace. (laughs) I'm going to remember that forever. Oh, that was so good. It's just such a wonderful middle image. Yes. And how slow a snail moves. Oh, look, picturing these tiny little bitty snails out of, on my front porch. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> and think about how long it takes one of those little snails to make it across your porch. I know. <laughs> Poor little snail. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So where can we find your work? Are you ha- Do you have any events or anything coming up? Because of this project... Well, in addition to COVID, there haven't been that many shows or anything. Um, I have been um, in group shows uh, here in Montgomery and at Stonehenge Gallery um, now that I'm no longer in the museum shop. Um, But you can find my work at Stonehenge. uh, And if you go in there and they don't have any exhibit, um, 
they call me and I'll bring some over or something. Oh. Um, as far as physical locations, that and my home, my my studios in my home um, and all. But you can always email me or direct message me or um, if you've got my phone number, you can text me or call me. Um, but I don't answer numbers that I don't know. So if you don't leave a voicemail, you're not going to hear from me. Yeah. Um, and if you have my phone number and you text me, please start off saying, hi, this is April yeah. Harris. <laughs> because I have friends who just start a conversation and I don't have a clue who they are because just the telephone never shows. Well, I immediately say, who is this? Right, right. So, uh, and you can, uh, like I said, you can Google my name um, or you can go specifically to Etsy. Um, if you go to my website, I do have a gallery page. And if you see something you want to buy, you can contact me. Do you um, do prints of everything like your or just certain things you have prints of? I primarily do prints of things that I think people would truly be interested in buying. I did the, my illustrated alphabet and that's been very popular. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so I do note cards of that and I do prints if people want prints. Those have been real popular note cards. Um, I, and I did illustrated numbers and the same goes there. Um, I've done prints of the big, big graves drawing because that's been popular with people in this area. Yeah. Um, and, uh, tumors drugstore yeah. and the rolled oaks that's particularly popular <laughs> in football season. So it, it's things like that. And, and I've had people message me or email me or whatever and say, would you do a print? of this and uh and if a drawing they've seen or something and, and if it's a drawing i've already done sure yeah. but i'm not necessarily going to do a drawing uh unless i see it as something that would be a good seller as a print sure. um un unless you commission me yeah. to do something like thank you so much for talking oh, today this was so much fun and you have so much wisdom for all of us so well thank you <laughs> we got into some really interesting details so. well i hope so and i hope yeah. people when they watch that they will learn something yeah uh, else there was no point in us doing this yeah. and that's what's so good about artists talking with each other about their processes yeah so, it's always, I'm, I'm, always interesting just to hear mm -hmm. how somebody else sort of thinks about what they're doing and how right. they accomplish it you know well i appreciate your inviting me to do this yeah. thank you very much it's so nice to have talked to you. Thank you for listening to Art Talk with April. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe.